I took my fitness pretty serious when I was on a 600 all the time. As soon as I got on the super bike, it was like, holy shit, this thing's trying to kill me every single corner. Like I can't hold on to it. And that's when I really had to focus on just working out all the time and fitness because it was just killing you. We've built some top level um, Moto America bikes and uh, not in super bike, just 600 stuff and super sport. And it's nothing to throw 55 to $60,000 out of 600 these days. Wow. Like by the time you put data on it, build an engine, put a nice set of calipers on it, you know, all the wiring, like if you put time labor in it, you get some extras, do, you know, let's just take a Daytona 200 bike, for example, to have a good competitive Daytona 200 bike. If you buy a brand new bike off the showroom, you're going to spend easily $50,000 on it to make it competitive. Today is August 21st, 2020. Today we have flying Ryan Kerr from uh, Black Lick, Ohio, I believe it is. Coming on the ericswanracing.com podcast. I think this will be podcast number 16 of the ESR series so far. And I'm excited to have him today. He's just logging on. But it might take him a second. Uh, we're using Zoom conference, so it's a little bit new for everybody. But uh, he should be coming on just a second here. If you check out our eBay store, we have many new products coming. I'm working on a few new vendors. Uh, Driven Racing, Jim O'Neill, OGO Power Sports are all coming on very soon. M4 Performance Exhaust. We have Spark Italian Exhaust for sale right now. We have Akrapovic or Akrapovic, Slovenian Exhaust, um, will be added soon. And uh, we're working on a lot of, lot of stuff right now. I expect by the end of the year, January 1st to have around 10,000 products listed for sale. Uh, right now we're about 2,500 or so. So massive amount of growth going to uh, almost triple or quadruple our inventory uh, in the next couple months here. So I'm pretty excited for it. So stay tuned. There we go. Hey, what's up, man? <laughs> hey, it's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. Yeah, so uh, you got your friend in the background there? Yeah, that's my, uh, that's that's actually our protege. He works yeah. at my shop, Skyler. And that oh, right there, my best friend, Lance. Hey, Lance. Hey, Skyler. How you doing? Doing great. Looks like you're on a pontoon boat chilling. Yeah, we're on a pontoon boat, but we're trying to fix it because as you can see, we're not in the water. No. <laughs> Hey, well, at least you're uh, relaxing in a good style, right? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, I think we met maybe back, uh, geez, 2013, 2012, maybe. Uh, yeah, it's been a Probably at Grattan Raceway, I think. Uh, you were racing the expert class, and I would just start now. And I was like, wow, you guys are so fast. I wonder if I could get to, to your speed one day. And oh, yeah. uh, it's, it's good to see your progress and to see where you've been. And uh you even helped me out in a pinch. I think that year I, I broke a transmission. I blew a transmission in my bike. And uh, you were the only guy within uh, miles and miles that would have one available. So I met up with you and helped me out with that. Yeah, we had a lot of Kawasaki support and a lot of Kawasaki parts laying around because I broke a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, and you were on the 600 for a while, but then you switched over to 1,000. Yep. And uh, what is that transition like for you from going from the 600 to the, the big bikes? For me, it was a lot easier just to get on the 1000 because I was so bound up on the 600. Okay. And 
actually overriding the 600 all the time. Um, like I would, I would ride the 600 so aggressively that I would go into the corners. I would lose all my momentum and quarter speed. And then the bike doesn't make enough power to pull you out of the corner. So getting on the 1000, it was a, it was a learning curve, but at the same time, um, all in all, it, I think it helped me a lot because it smoothed my riding out and I was a lot more competitive. Yeah. Just maybe fit your style a little bit better. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, do you think you, you say overriding the 600? Is that, you know, pushing the braking markers way too fat, way too deep into the braking zones or, uh, what do you yeah. mean? You, you know, riding a 600, I mean, they don't make that much power. So as soon as you lose that drive or you lose all your roll speed, uh, they, they just don't come off the corner whatsoever. Right. Right. And, um, man, I raced a 600 in the, I mean, it was, it was where I wasn't professional, but I raced 600 uh, in the 600 class, 750 and 1000 classes. And I will tell you what a, what a tough battle that is trying to race a 1000 on a track like Road Atlanta or um, I never went to Road America with it, but I don't think you could ever compete there unless uh, the competition's not really any, any strong for you. Yeah, the thing with 1000s, though, a lot of people get on a 1000 and automatically, you know, they're like, oh, I'm going to be way faster. I'm losing all this time on the straightaways and stuff like that. And 99% of the time, as soon as they get on 1000, they actually go slower because they're fighting the motorcycle and the power so much. Yeah. So you definitely yeah. recommend starting out on a slower bike, a lower CC engine? I'll tell you what, I, uh, I've been doing a little bit of riding and coaching. Um, I rode a one of my friends is Ninja 300 when I was in Jennings right before the 200 this year. Yeah. And I had a blast on that motorcycle. I mean, it, it's slow, but it kind of brings back like uh, how road racing is like ballet. It's all about literally just roll speed and, and flowing on the racetrack. And I was literally passing guys on the outside on that Ninja 300 and the S's at Jennings yeah. and they come off. They're just pissed because they're like, how are you doing that? I'm like, it's all about momentum and roll speed. Yeah, you make one tiny mistake, it affects the next four corners on those kind of bikes. Well, that's what we learned, too, when I was racing the Harleys all the time, because they don't make enough power to get out of their own way. So as soon as you lose that driver momentum, you screw everything up. Those were the XR1200s? Yep. Do you wish they would bring a, a class like that back to, to Moto America? Or what, what's your thought on that? I think any kind of uh, spec class for the series would be great. Yeah. Um, oh when before I had good support and everything, when we were, you know, racing true, truly privateers, trying to compete with the factory budget and at the factory level, uh, our bikes were never adequate to what we were racing, you know, on, on the other competitors. So I was having to override and ride so, so much harder than everyone else just to keep up and, you know, uh, place well. So as soon as we got on the Harleys and did that, like, every singles motorcycle was exactly the same. And I think for the sport and you know, the competition, it shows who's actually the better rider. It's not who has the bigger checkbook. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there should be a class like, like a formula one or a motor GP that is the pinnacle that spends all the money that develops the technology. But at our level, there's no way you and I can compete with, you know, the factory Yamaha team or the factory Suzuki team, whatever you want to call it now, what it is. But, um, well, Moto America, you know, the the Superbike class right now, compared to even how it was when I was racing the Superbike every weekend, the top five guys are, even just the top two guys, if you look at Yamaha, really it's just Yamaha, honestly, because, you know, all rich in road racing world, they still don't 
have the amount of technology that Factory Yamaha and Attack is putting into that program. I mean, yeah. Cameron is an incredible rider, but at the same time, those motorcycles that they're riding it are absolutely incredible too. So for someone that doesn't have quite the same skill level as him, it, you're just, you're going to the racetrack. You already know that you're racing for third, fourth, and fifth. Right. Yeah, it's a little frustrating, and it would be interesting to see a uh, an entire series that was based on spec classes. You had a thousand cc spec class, everything's the same. Six hundred cc spec class, and then a four hundred cc or you know a lightweight class. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, I, even if it's ever been done. No, they never have been. That's the thing with the Harleys. I mean, when we went to Daytona. Uh, the first year we went to Daytona on the Harleys, I uh, I only rode it the weekend before, and then the next weekend in qualifying, I was I qualified on pole, I was fastest, and then we had an oil line blow, and I crashed in final qualifying. But from first place to ninth place, we were all within three tenths of each other. I mean, you can get over everyone. That's so close. I love to see that. It's almost like a, a go kart race, you know? There are just hundreds between them. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. I mean, not to take anything away from the sport of the series, but you, you watch the races now, and it's like everyone's so just separated. And then, you know, they, they show the front pack. They don't even show any of the good racing that's, you know, throughout the rest of the race, out the rest of the pack. Yeah. Yeah, that's a little frustrating. You know, when you turn on the MotoGP, it's uh, the Mark Marquez show. You turn on World Superbike, the Jonathan Ray show. Turn on uh, Moto America, it's the Cameron Bobier show. Absolutely. So it's just everybody uh, excels at their own level. You know, I was a little surprised um, Garrett Gerloff got the ride. Not that he's not a, a, a phenomenal rider, but, you know, I'm thinking, shouldn't Cam Bobier be the next guy to go overseas, you think? Or does he want to be the king of America? I think Cameron didn't go over there is just because the age thing. Uh, that's why Joe Roberts went over there, and that's why Gerloff went over there is just because okay. – they want those guys to be younger so they can bring them up through Moto2 and ultimately try to get them to MotoGP where Cameron's older and, you know, it's it's not that he's too old, but at the same time, they're not going to put him directly in the MotoGP class. So they want you in Moto2 for a few years and they want you out, you know, by the time you're in your 30s. And uh, Cam is 26, 27-ish? Yeah, I think he's I think he's 27 or I, – actually, I'm pretty sure he's 28 because I think he's only a year younger than me. Okay, and then uh, I think Garrett's. Um, I don't. I don't even know how old Garrett is. Twenty-two or twenty-three. He's a lot younger still. Yeah. So just a few years there. Yep. Oh, sorry, dude. Yeah, I. Uh, I, tr I had to get back into my truck. I actually got to drive back to my shop right now. I got to meet this customer. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No problem. I understand. Uh, we don't have to keep it take it too long, but I just wanted to uh, touch base with you, see if we could uh, talk for a few minutes. Oh yeah, no, you're good, man. I'm just, I'm just driving, so I'm good. I'm, I'm sure it's not a good idea, but I multitask all the time, so I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, just don't stare at the phone. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, so you said you're going to meet a customer. What do you, uh, do you mind elaborating? What do you do at your shop? And uh, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, uh, once I quit doing the whole racing thing full time, I, uh, I obviously still have love for motorsports and stuff like that so I was like uh I had my dyno from racing and everything and I was like well I was like it's time to do something I I don't I did some landscaping and I was working for other people and I'm just like man I can't I can't do this working for someone else I'm gonna roll the dice and I'm good at working on stuff and everything like that so let's see what we can make happen and uh I started doing my own thing and uh 
I, I just did 28 motorsports being my racing number. And then uh, I, I was building a lot of really competitive stuff and cool stuff. And some guy was like, man, let's just do hashtag 28 built. I'm like, hell yeah. So that's what we, that's what we focus everything on, like all the builds, but I, I do everything there. I mean, we have, we have over 125 bikes in stock right now just for service. And I have the dyno and I do a lot of engine builds and stuff like that. But um, it's, it's a blessing. I mean, I, I think a lot of the business people follow me through my racing career and uh, stuff that we did in the past, but how everything's going right now, I, it, it couldn't be better. Like, and how much I'm learning, like how much more I learn about chassis and motorcycles and bikes where, if I knew all that stuff when I was racing all the time, it probably would have made a huge difference. Did you get any formal training for uh, wrenching on bikes or was it all working with your dad, just learning uh, at the racetrack? A lot of it was just working at the racetrack. A lot of it was self-taught. Um, my dad taught me a lot of stuff. Um, I also learned like a ton of stuff from Gary Medley. Um, okay. He was always my crew chief when we were racing and everything that guy taught me was, you know, he's, he's a wealth of knowledge and he still, he actually does some of, uh, some of my engine builds for me still. And, and we kind of, we kind of feed work off of each other, but yeah, it's a lot of, it's just, it sounds bad, but it's trial and error. I mean, uh, you know, once it comes into really, you know, pissing the valve clearance and squeezing engines tight to make power, like sometimes it works and other times it blows up. Yeah. I so. mean, and, and uh, the more you learn from trial and error, the better you get. So it's not a bad thing. Um, people just hope it doesn't happen to their bike. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, though, it's uh, parts fail. And that's, that's something else that's very difficult because uh, try to explain that to a customer. It's like, hey, you know, I, I did my job to my best ability, but, you know, this oil pump failed or, hey, this timing chain broke and it's catastrophic. Right. Yeah. So. It's not always your fault. You put the right part in there, but the uh, system failed somehow. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, our, uh, this year at Daytona, our, uh, I mean, we put a fresh motor in before, um, before the 200 and uh, literally second, second or third flying lap out there. Uh, the rod, I mean, it, it broke the rod, like wow. <laughs> it obliterated that engine, but I mean, we had another engine, so that was all, that was all good. Uh, but then the COVID thing hit and everything like that. So that kind of put a, that kind of put a bind in everyone's schedule. That's for sure. So uh, I, I've met some people at the racetrack who are just wizards with, uh, with a wrench. Um, how fast do you think you and your team could uh, do an engine swap? Um, so once body works off and coolant's drained, we can do a motor swap in 40 minutes. 40 minutes. That's, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's in out and that's throwing the bike on its side like burping the coolant system and ready to go back on the racetrack yeah it's it's pretty quick um a lot of that is all how do the parts and everything we do stuff so like the headers come off literally in in one piece we run a little bit different exhaust system uh same thing with uh, we actually have a zeus fastener pin on the bottom support for the radiator so that literally comes right off you can slide yeah. it off the frame and once that's out of the way, I mean, we don't, we don't run uh, uh, on the superbike. It obviously takes longer, but on a 600, I don't run any data, any of that crap. So it's, it's a matter of just unhooking our ECU, um, moving the throttle bodies off of it and dropping the motor out through the bottom. It's, it's not a big deal. Wow. I think, I think most standard, uh, standard people who don't work on bikes for a living would say it probably takes, uh, it's a, right yeah it's a full day job yeah mo most of the time like even at the shop now um 
that kid that was with me earlier, he's still at, at my other building out there. Um, he's, he just started working at the shop and doing stuff. And, uh, you know, he, he took an R6 motor out today by himself and it took him, it took him about sets five. Now he started on it this morning at like 10, 15. So it took him the entire day to get it out. But at the end of the day too, that's a, that's a standard street bike. So there's a little bit more body work and components and stuff like that. But yeah, for the average person, it's a, it's pretty much a full day job. Yeah, it seems like a massive undertaking. But if you know what you're doing, you've done it 55 times, it's not such a big deal anymore. It's just all nuts and bolts when you get down to it. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to know which ones to take out and which ones aren't, aren't important. Um, yep. So, yeah, I saw – I just perused your Instagram real quick, um, and I saw you were uh, doing a whole bunch of different uh, disciplines. You're into flat track. You're doing ice racing. You're doing – pontoon boat maybe racing at some point <laughs> no we're not racing pontoon boats we're just trying to have a good time right right um so talk about some ice racing what kind of what kind of benefit do you get from ice racing is it just pure pleasure or uh you find i think i think the ice racing is is kind of plays the part in you know riding a 1000 because you got to get comfortable with it spinning the rear tire off of it all the time and you know right racing on the ice is very similar to flat track racing you're pretty much sideways all the time um i guess i've just been such a blessed like all-around motorcycle racer that i've i've adapted very well um you know like i <laughs> Last year at Daytona, I, I raced the, the Pro 450 Singles TT, and like yeah. it was just a matter one day, I was like, you yeah. know what, like I'm going to give this flat track thing a try, I want to I get my license, and um, I raced motocross professionally, so I was a very, very good motocross racer, and I'm like, you know, I know I can haul ass with a TT just because I can use a front brake better than those guys, and I'm really good at turning right, so yeah. we, uh, we went yeah. to one of the local uh, Salem, you know, short tracks and, you know, the local fast amateur kids were there and, you know, they're just like, you've never done a TT before. I was like, no, I'm going to learn today. Yeah. And literally three laps into the first practice, I was wearing those guys out and it's just being comfortable with sliding the motorcycle and using a front brake and stuff like that. And, uh, it was just awesome because even in the heat race, I won. And then the main event, I, think there was like 18 of us and I uh, I lapped halfway through the field and it was the first time I, and I was riding a buddy's bike like it wasn't my bike set up for me or anything like he uh his name's Dennis Jeffries and he he always helps me at my shop and stuff like that but he's like hey man uh he helps out kids that want to race 450 pro singles he's like here just ride this bike it's pretty well set up and I got on it and just I adapted to it but that's that's just how I've always had to learn like prior to having good help and everything and racing, like we didn't have the best equipment. So it was just put your head down and ride. Like, do you want to run up front with those guys and just try to overcome? And sometimes you ended up on your head, but other times you were up front battling. So it's just something that we had to adapt. Yeah. And I think and like, who, uh, who have that mentality could probably ride vintage bikes very well, because if you just get on it and ride, like there's not a whole lot of settings on a vintage bike anyways. Right. Well, that's, that's the funny thing too. I, uh, there's, there's the bull taco Astro cup for dirt track and they have like the national at Ashland, um, which is about an hour and a half away. And this guy, Dave was like, Hey, I got this bull taco Astro. You want to race it short track? I'm like, hell yeah, I'll ride it. And the, the hardest part was, you know, the right hand shifting. And then okay, it yeah. be, that, that was the hardest thing to adapt. But once I got that thing in fifth gear on the half mile, I just kept it wide open the entire time. And, yeah, I, 
we did really good there. We got a third and a second, and I think we got one first and a couple fourths for the overall weekend, but I never rode the bike, but yeah, it was just, it was literally just adapting. Yeah, that's real good. And uh, you mentioned, you alluded to, uh, you were at Daytona this year, and there was some COVID yeah. things going on. So that was, that was a really unique situation. I know that ASRA or CCS didn't have really control over what was going on, but you are, you guys already qualified and then they sent everybody home. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, uh, it was very interesting. The whole situation was, um, I, <laughs> it was very frustrating. A lot of it was just cause we had so much stuff preparation and everything for it. And then you got all these tires and everything mounted and all this different stuff, you know, prepped and already done for day, you know, for Daytona. And then it's just like, Hey, this is, you know, the president of Daytona national raceway is making this decision. And, uh, it's just, they're sending everybody home. So. Yeah. And it's going to be uh rescheduled for October, I think. Sorry about that, man. I was in the middle of turning my alarm off and everything else, but Oh, yeah, yeah here's, I got so much shit in my shop, but like here's an H2 that we're doing a full build on. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so we uh, we do a little bit of everything. Uh, yeah, one of my guys, we're supposed to leave a bike out, and I'm not sure where they even stuff this thing, but this isn't even like the small side of the shop. Like it's it's 10,000 square feet, and then this is just, this is some of the bikes. <laughs> it's a sea of motorcycles. Yeah, it's it's a lot for sure. But, that's awesome but yeah the whole the whole daytona thing um i don't know i mean you can't change it but at the same time it, it just sucked because we all went there to race and there was talk about you know they were still gonna have it and this and that and it kind of just wasted a whole nother day for everybody and then they said they were gonna do the reschedule and stuff like that and it's just like this is unreal you know and not mm -hmm. to mention all the thousands of everyone spent to go there and, and make it happen for it for this. Yeah. I mean, imagine coming from California in a semi truck with a plane ticket for all your crew. And then you had to do it again for the same amount of purse. Well, you know, the other thing that was uh, insane about that situation is, you know, obviously Daytona, the 200, such a big race. There's, there's guys literally from uh, Puerto Rico and stuff like that, that they shipped in all their, mr12 and everything like that they were dumping it in their rental cars oh man because they just didn't they were just like well i guess we got to use it or we're gonna throw it out and like literally they were putting it in their rental cars and everything else it was unreal at first i, I thought you meant like they put it in the back seat but they're putting it in the gas tank of the rental cars yeah they were literally putting it in the gas tank of the rental cars well at least they probably had fun with that rental for a little bit oh absolutely it smelled good i'm sure it was like bananas right yeah, yeah, I'm sure it. Uh, I'm sure it smelled interesting. That's that's for sure. Yeah, man. Um, and you did wear a quite a bit extensively from probably 2012 to 2017, was it maybe? Uh, we did we did quite a bit of wear just to get seat time and practice for the 1000 for the superbike. Um, once we got my biggest thing was getting my superbike license. Once I got my superbike license, it uh. We really just focus on the nationals and testing. Um, you know, race racing's good and everything, but until until you get seat time and and just riding and learning and data, it takes forever. So, right. And um, what is the licensing like? Switching from a pro motorcycle road racing sport to a pro flat track, do you have to prove that you're 
uh, fast enough in practice qualifying or have enough points? How does that work? That That's kind of a sore subject because I, I definitely didn't meet all the requirements to get my pro flat track license. But since, uh, since I, I did the whole road racing thing professionally and I was such a, a good known, uh, you know, top level motocross racer, they kind of just, you know, uh, Larry Pegram obviously doesn't live far from me and we've raced on the ice and stuff like that together. And like, you know, me and Larry actually, you know, we go at it when, when we're on the ice and he's just like, dude, you got to try dirt track sometime. And I'm like, yeah, I want to try it. Absolutely. And then, uh, so we called out Lettington and a couple other people and the director of the racing is just like, look, man, like Ryan can ride really good. He, uh, he's definitely, definitely not, you know, a hazard or anything like that out there. Like just get him a license. So. That's pretty cool. I mean, if you got a guy like Larry Pegram, who's raced on the world stage, um, that's a good, that's a good guy in your corner on your resume. Oh, yeah. And Larry's another one of those racers. That's just a, absolute awesome all around all around racer yeah i actually met him at uh moto gp 2013 or 14 in the parts unlimited uh hospitality area really yeah, he's a super nice guy yeah he definitely larry's definitely a really nice guy for sure and he had that uh pretty cool tv show for a while <laughs> yeah the Superbike family yeah that was that was great uh it really gives you the behind the scenes of of everything that people don't see all the time Oh, absolutely. And that's, that's kind of why I'm doing this. I just want to talk to interesting people. And, and even when you're not racing, you're just moving bikes around and working on pontoon boats. And it's just cool to see uh, the behind the scenes aspect of it when you're not in your race suit. Yeah, it's definitely the behind the scenes. I'm, I'm always in the middle of doing stuff. So give me a, uh, this cool guy right here. He's in the middle of picking up his bike. We just fixed it. I'll, uh, I'll give you a call right back, Eric. Yeah, go ahead. All right, we're good, man. All taken care of. <laughs> Sweet. Hey, making money while you're uh, being interviewed. <laughs> yeah, that's that's always the goal. Right? <laughs> the bills never stop. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's expensive just to exist and live. Yeah, you're you're 100% right. Um, I... I don't know. It's uh, the older you get, the more bills you have. And like, I have a lot of nice things. I mean, I'm definitely very blessed with the, the business side of things and how busy we are. But at the same time, I've, I've actually sold a lot of my toys that I've had just because I work so much now. And I, I don't even enjoy the stuff. It's just like I enjoy going home and, and not doing a lot. So just relaxing in your free time. I mean, when you're when you're go 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 and you run your own business uh i i kind of know what that's like for me uh if you didn't know i'll give you a little background i uh i stopped racing in about 2015 although with you you see these number plates over on the sides i've been doing other racing uh foot racing and mountain oh, yeah. racing way cheaper um oh, not yeah. fun but it's still fun uh you're getting out there oh, absolutely competitive so i've morphed from sponsorship because that didn't work out so well for me and I've changed more into uh, online sales. So I sell products online. Right now I have about nice. 500 products for sale on eBay, and my own website and Amazon and um, Craigslist sometimes for different things. Um, Hell yeah. So I'm really going the dropship model where I'm reaching out to companies and listing their products and, um, and shipping them out from different warehouses all around the country. And uh, yeah, absolutely. I got a full-time worker in India who's, who's helping me make product listings. I, I have two part-time 
uh, family members who are working for me remotely. And uh, I was just gone for a vacation and I had someone shipping orders for me. So it's getting better. It's not awesome. have a 10,000 square building yet, um, square yeah. foot building, but I'm, it's, uh, it's getting better. And um, I actually just reached out to a new vendor today to try to establish a new relationship with uh, OGO. OGO oh, wow. backpacks yep. and, um, and the golf, uh, golf brand Callaway. Um, so we'll see where that goes, but uh, I'm, I'm really trying and reaching out to a lot of different people and just trying to make money as, as many different ways as I can. You know, I usually, I work a full-time job still, unfortunately. Uh, I work my yeah. business in the, in my spare time. I usually have two renters. Uh, I have one right now. Um, I do this podcast once a week and I try to do like 50 to a hundred miles of cycling every week. So, uh, I got a full plan. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Um, the cycling thing's fun. I mean, I, I do it a little bit. Um, not, not as much as I used to all the time, obviously when I was racing, cause it's, it's so good for training, but, uh, my friend, uh, Lance that I'm, I'm heading back out to, uh, to the property right now. Um, he actually, he's, he's a two time PFL champion okay. and, uh, yeah, so he's he's a badass. He's a little brick shit house, but we actually we, we hang out all the time and and do some fighting together and, and stuff like that. So that's fun. But um, I don't know. I I love motorcycles, but my whole racing, you know, that side of it is, you know, the Daytona thing's obviously awesome, but um, just the whole racing every weekend and and chasing it and spending the money is, it's just it's it's kind of just a bottomless hole, you know you you spend all the money and you're just not getting the return like there used to be i mean i even got into the the road racing role you know way past the prime of it you know back when uh I, you know me and pegram have had the conversation a million times and like uh even back to like the bounty hunter days like brian stokes and and you know jensen those guys would go race we're on a weekend and they, they'd make 15 or 20, they'd make 15 or 20 grand in in a day you know, it was, it was unreal. And I'm just like, you know, how the hell is that possible? I, you know, I, I would be running up front all the time in super sport. And, you know, I think, I think the checks were, you know, 2,500 bucks and it's like without, without sponsors, without sponsors from other sources and stuff like that. Superbike purse was a lot better. I mean, even for qualifying and making the grid, I think it was, I think it was 5,500 or 6,000. So that was, that was definitely better, but yeah. And the Harley, the Harley's paid, the Harley's paid really well too. Um, but you know, other than I lost you there, sorry. Uh, the Harley's paid really well too. And that was a nice thing is, is it was such competitive racing and it was cheap racing too. We would, I would run the same front tire all weekend wow. on the Harley. Yeah. Like, uh, we went through three rear tires, one new one for practice. And then, uh, obviously one for qualifying and one for the race, but that was it. I ran the same front tire all weekend. Uh, we just put the hard front tire on there and they just, you know, that's cheap where Superbike we were going through nine full sets of tires and then 12 rears roughly. In, in I one mean, weekend, just, yeah. And <laughs> in, in one weekend, yeah, literally. And that's what people don't get. They're like, oh yeah, you're, you know, it's, it sounds like, you know, sponsors and stuff, it's all great. But I'm like, yeah, we're throwing away $4,000. Um, yeah, it's a lot of money. Cost, I would, yeah, we're throwing it. I've never done a pro event, so I can't really speak to it. You've done a lot more than me, but um, I would estimate that it's probably anywhere from 
4000 to $10,000 for a pro event at the top level? Yeah, it's a super bike. Um, I mean, if you, if you look at the factory teams, uh, it's much more than $10,000. Yeah, for those guys with the so, semi-trucks, for sure. Yeah, so, you know, when we had Yoshimura support and stuff like that, and I had my dad, uh, my stepdad on the team, uh, we had a full-time mechanic, Michael, we had our suspension guy, then we had Gary working with us. Um, I mean, just, just paying those guys for the weekend and everything was, was roughly fifty-five to $6,000. And yeah. then you got, you know, tires, you got travel expenses. Uh, God forbid if you crashed a bike, I mean it all added up very, very quickly. If you had a perfect weekend, you'd spend 15 grand, no problem. Wow. And it's just, it's crazy, you know, without help, you, you could spend just to do all the rounds, you're at $150,000. Yeah. Um, and when we had some, you know, some Geico support and, and Suzuki support and Kawasaki, everyone was kind of throwing in and we were racing all the time. Uh, it, it was nothing for us to spend, you know, let, let's say you're just doing the super bike races, but then you're practicing. I'm, I'm going to mid Ohio a couple times a month and riding, or we're going to Barber. We're going here to do a test. I mean, to spend $250,000 was, was nothing. I mean, it, it's unreal what it costs to keep those bikes going. And then you do, you know, <laughs> my dad used to always call it whack one. Like yeah. the bike comes back and the front end's not even connected to the frame. And, like that's part of it and it's just like you look at yeah you look at it you're just like oh what do we do with that thing light a match to it or try to keep the wiring harness like the frames broke and everything else and it's just like the fan side of it and people that you know are just watching from the outside they have no idea you know what what cost goes into it I mean you look at Cameron's bike for example to we've built some top level um, Moto America bikes and uh, not in super bike, just 600 stuff and super sport. And it's nothing to throw 55 to $60,000 out of 600 these days. Wow. Like by the time you put data on it, build an engine, put a nice set of calipers on it, you know, all the wiring, like if you put time labor in it, you get some extras Do you know, let's just take a Daytona 200 bike, for example, to have a good competitive Daytona 200 bike, if you buy a brand new bike off the showroom, you're going to spend easily $50,000 on it to make it competitive. I said, you're going to have extra wheels. I'm going through a dead spot right now. So you might lose me, man. Okay. Um, you're going, you're going to have extra wheels. You got to get the quick change stuff going. Uh, you got to have the the gas tank done you got to have at least two extra gas tanks because god forbid you crash now your quick fill gets messed up you got to have it um it's it's absolutely unreal all the spares you have to have exhaust system if you don't have an extra motor going there you're wasting your time yeah. so it's like everyone looks at the daytona 200 purse and it's like oh yeah it's 25 grand to win you don't have sponsors or money to get you there you're in the hole before you even go yeah, and, and for a guy like me, when I was starting out, my mentality was I have to get good immediately because I don't have the money to, to fund everything for a long time. So I got to be a pro as soon as possible. And, uh, and it's totally a catch yeah. too where, well, you don't have the money to get to pro, so you can't get the sponsors. So how do, you, how do you get to pro without the sponsors to be able to show what you can do? You know, it's like this tough situation. Yeah, and that's that's something that, you know, is kind of frustrating, you know, ultimately because, you know, I think I think there are some very talented racers out there that don't get enough credit. Like uh Jake Lewis is one 
Yeah, Jake Lewis kind of got the short end of my really good friends. And, you know, he, a lot of money, exactly, you know, and, and even my family, like they do anything for me, but, you know, with, without having the financial backing, it's, it's hard to compete with those people. And, you know, he, he literally was camping out like everyone else that we are raced is and doing whatever, eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and doing whatever they could to put the extra amount of money into their racing program so they could race and get points just to get to that top level and then you get to that top level it's like you're there you made it and it's like wow is all this really worth it you know it's like i don't think the pay is what everyone thinks that it really is you know i would just be ecstatic to be able to race at at a decent competitive level and get dollars and just break even that's what i mean you know yeah just do it and not 100 percent. i'd be so ecstatic and that's why you know i'm never going to make enough money working at at least the job I have now to be able to fund it. So I have to do something different with the business or trying to have renters or investments, finances, different things. So I'm just trying everything possible. Uh, I don't know when or if I'll get back to it, but that's, that's kind of the goal. And that's the the shining star that's guiding me with all my decisions right now. Yeah, that's the thing. There's um, that, that's the thing with racing is, you know, the older I get, originally there there was nothing else like it was just racing you know and no matter what like to think of myself not racing it it just didn't seem realistic and and now you know I'm, I'm into so much other things like hell even even me and Lance going golfing and and being at home with uh with Haley and Earl and just doing other things like there's there's a lot more into life than that so it's just like it's crazy yeah and uh, I saw you had posted a couple of things about Casper. Tell us about Casper. Do you still have that? Give me, give me one second, man. I got to swap over here off this onto the shop Wi-Fi. All right. All right, wait. All right, dude, we're back. Sorry about that. Yeah, I was man, this is, I don't mind. This is kind of cool. This is the most explorative podcast I've ever done. Dude, this is my everyday life, me with these guys. Just driving around. Yeah, start a land yacht out here. <laughs> I like that. It's like a redneck yacht club, right? <laughs> Hell yeah. No, hey, you uh, go ahead. You ask him Casper. I don't, I don't have Casper anymore. But that freak back there, he's got a, uh, he's got a black track hawk that we named Mamba, okay. and it, uh, it's gonna be a lot nastier build. Um, I'll show, I'll show you in our shop out here. Okay. We still uh, we got a, we got a 2020 wide body Hellcat. We got a red eye i i actually was doing some of the car stuff the instructing up at mid ohio i had a uh i had a z06 i still have it i crashed the hell out of that thing last year at mid ohio um but yeah i built this building you got the 28 on the floor right there there you go pour the cement um yeah this is uh this is our 2020 wide body uh we went to streetcar takeover last weekend we're racing this thing um but yeah it uh it's fun we um we got like this upstairs loft uh we're doing the we call it uncaged performance it's another business that me and lance are uh we started we're we're trying to do the the whole giveaway thing so you know sell the sell the merchandise to do the inventory this is a this is a 20 this is a 2019 hellcat drivetrain that we blew apart <laughs> but yeah he's he's building um 
he's building his Jeep pretty much a max bolt-on effort like we did. Mine made around 1150 to 1200 horsepower on spray. And uh, the stock, I mean, that was stock bottom end. I mean, it took it. Like, it's unreal what those things can take. And he actually just put a full a full built engine in his. And uh, it's, it's going to take a lot more power. This is yeah. – uh, we got this Can-Am back here. We, we literally took this thing golfing last weekend. We just drove it down Broad Street and everything else. <laughs> we, we lifted it. It's a Turbo X. We did a whole bunch of stuff to it. But Awesome. It's pretty slick. Oh, there you go. Side-by-side, four-by-four. Oh, yeah, four-door. Can-Am. Oh, that's sweet, man. That's a yeah. full-size. You got a back seat and everything. Oh, yeah, this thing is huge. It's like a truck. Wow. Is that plated? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, it's played. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. So you're like you're into you know boats and marine with uh, off road, on road. Um, so what type of racing or riding uh, would you like to try that you haven't done yet? So I would say the only type of racing that I really haven't done that I definitely want to try. I mean, I've done some stupid hill climbs, but like I wanna, I wanna ride one of those nitro um, Harley hill climb bikes. That's something okay. that I've always wanted to do. Just like you a, gotta hold. Like a nitrous, or is it a turbo bike? <laughs> I've, yeah, I've ridden a, uh, I've ridden a top fuel bike. Um, not, not actual uh, like funny car style with the actual like the blower and everything on them, but I've ridden a, a pro stock Harley before. When we did the we're doing the Vance and Hines thing. I got the opportunity to ride one of those with Eddie Craywick and Andrew Hines. So that was a cool experience. Pretty the cool. funny thing about that too is I don't, I don't talk shit, but nev never to take anything away from those guys. But like going straight down a drag strip, once you figure out how a tree works, like their, <laughs> their motorcycle ability is nothing like road racing or anything oh, yeah. else. It's just one asp. It's like the first 30 seconds of the race. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, once uh, once once I got the hang of literally just leaving with the clutch. I mean, I was in one day of riding. I was competitive with those guys, and I've never done it before. And oh, when yeah. they let off, when the thing starts to lean and get squirrely, like I just kept it pinned because it feels normal. Sure, you're just used to that. Yeah, exactly. And That's like me and this. We get reckless in vehicles, and most people that are driving with us are holding on for the oh shit handle and everything else and we're just sitting there talking like everything's normal <laughs> yeah for sure now um do you have oh, you get you installed not yet watch out <laughs> do you have a favorite uh tire brand for each discipline that you race or is it always just whatever the spec tire is i'll race that no whatever the spec tire is we'll race that i never did like uh what a lot of the other guys did with the pirellis and you know, when we went to Weir races in CCS, we always ran the spec Dunlops because you would get on a Pirelli and like I've ridden the Pirellis, they're a way better tire and you can go a lot faster on them, but you screw yourself when you go to the national races because all the guys that were, you know, setting all these times on Pirellis, they'd go there and they'd get waxed and it's just because they couldn't ride on those tires. Right. Yeah. I was always a Michelin uh, supported rider. So I, and I never did the pro circuit, so I never switched to the Dunlops, but I was always hearing horror shows of, you know, oh, they switched from Michelin to Dunlop and lost three seconds a lap. Well, you just got to oh. to ride the tire, but it, it's a yeah. different carcass. It has a different feel to it. It's, different, it's stiffer, maybe, than some of the other brands. 
Yeah, that's a lot of it is um, just adapting. You know, like I said earlier with different bikes, a lot of people, it's, I've always like, if I'm having an off weekend, like I will blame myself rather than blame everything else. And there's a lot of guys that, you know, they want to blame the tire, just make up all these excuses and something you like you're off, you know? Right. Yeah. I would, I never had a, a crew chief to say, Hey, you fixed the bike. It's not, it doesn't feel right. It was always, well, I just have to work on my riding because I know yeah. the bike is pretty much fine. It's just, I need to learn yeah. to ride it better. Yeah. hundred percent. And most people don't have that mentality. I think they're just like, Oh, the suspension's wrong. I can't ride today. Well, that's, yep. <laughs> that's not a good long-term. Um, and then, uh, what do you, what would you say would be the hardest part for you becoming a professional? Um, just getting support. Honestly, the, the riding is easy. The more money and financial help that you got that, that made everything easy. You know, having, having Gary being able to afford, have him come on the team and everything like that, like, cause his knowledge was, was everything. And it got to the point where all I had to do was show up and ride the motorcycle. And yeah. when that's all, everything kind of just came naturally versus I'm running around in the pits. I'm, I'm checking on tires, getting done. If I crash the bike, I'm helping trying to put the damn thing back together. But you miss that stuff too, because it gets to the point where racing, you know, the, the fun and love for riding was always there when you were throwing your dirt bike in the back of the truck and going with your friends. I used to go, I was 16 years old. I'd have my dirt bike in my van and I would, I would skip school and I would literally go hit, local fair races and stuff like that and go win the money races and i'd always make hell i'd hit three fair races during the week and i'd have i'd make two grand and like it was last i would i would show up for late practice ride two laps go out there and win and go to the fair and hang out with my friends like it was awesome and then once you do that different level the the love for the sport it just completely changes because it's not just for fun it's it's for for a living and at some point like if you want to do it for a long time and you're not just loaded rich, you have to yep. be professional to be able to afford it because other people are going to help you. Right. So it's like this, uh, you like think a, we'll get a sponsorship from this zoom meeting. <laughs> hey, we could, if I, I don't have it in my hand, but cheers <laughs> to white claw. Right? Yeah, Bill, to white claw. <laughs> Man, I think there's, there's so much potential in motorcycle racing for added growth. I really do because look at, I mean, Daytona is, is now televised in a way, but that's not even really, um, that's probably the biggest amateur race that's televised, but no other amateur races are televised. There's no amateur coverage. So nobody can follow the people from amateur into the pro ranks. And I think that it would help if there was more amateur coverage um, somehow. Yeah, I mean, it would. I think it's just those promoters, it, it just comes down to cost and everything like that. But you watch, even if you go to a local motocross or something like that, you know, the younger kids and super many and even, you know, the 50 classes, they throw everything at it, you know. And yeah. that's, that's where we all came from is just loving to race motorcycles. Yeah, I just, I just wish it would be uh, promoted a, a little bit better than NASCAR because I, I, I have a sore spot for that, you know. Oh yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. There there's so many awesome sports that are out there that people, you know, have have no idea about, you know. Like this this guy over here, he gets paid money to get beat up for a living. <laughs> like don't have respect until you actually see 
you know, what goes into it. And that's, that's what's kind of frustrating because, you know, you show up for the weekend, you do good. Everyone's just like, man, I wish I was living their life or, you know, you know, they don't see everything that goes into it, you know, behind the scenes of all the hard work and, and training and dieting and eating right. And it's just, there's so much more than goes into it than just showing up and, oh yeah, he's just naturally gifted, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, that's uh, not exactly how it went, but <laughs> we'll go with that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, I'm a very like easygoing person, but like people, when they say that shit must be nice. Like yeah, that's be. what, going. oh yeah. It's just like, oh yeah, it must be nice. You have no idea. Right. Or, uh, Oh, you're just sitting on a motorcycle. That's not physical, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Hit that a lot. So uh, you mentioned diet, and uh, what, what do you typically would do for your diet uh, aside from White Claw? Right now? Yeah. I, I don't hardly eat at all during the day. I drink a lot of water, but um, we, water. we drink a lot of White Claw, too. <laughs> no, I, uh, I still drink. I still try to eat good just because I don't race nearly as much as I should, but I also don't want to be out of shape. Like, cause you know how much fitness affects your riding. If you can, can attack the track every single lap, you know, and not be tired, you're going to perform a lot better versus riding great for two laps and you're so pumped up. You can't even hold on. Right. Yeah. And a lot of it is to do great laps, a few laps and then just fade away. Like, Oh, here's my chance. Right. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing that was the hardest thing for me is I took my fitness pretty serious when I was on a 600 all the time. As soon as I got on the super bike, it was like, holy shit, this thing's trying to kill me every single corner. Like I can't hold on to it. And that's when I really had to focus on just working out all the time and fitness because it was just killing you. Was it a big uh, upper body jump in strength or from the to the 1000 or more legs and core? A lot of it's just the core and legs. There's not a ton of upper body. I mean, you don't want your arms ever to be huge because they just pump up so bad. But yeah, it's all endurance and strength and just keeping that heart rate up all the time. Yeah. Yeah, the, I do tons of cardio. I don't do a lot of uh, weight training. I probably should do a little bit more, but uh, I just do miles and miles and miles. I did a, I've been doing longer, uh, longer bicycle rides. I've been taking the road bicycle out more often now than the mountain bike, just trying to get – 40 milers. I did a 50 miler a couple of days ago. I'm um, just trying to get that uh, endurance up a couple of th two, three hour rides. It's, it's a lot. Hell yeah. That's how we train Lance. We hook him up to this pontoon boat and make him, make him run just around. Make him pull the pontoon. <laughs> that's right. There you go. Um, and uh, do you got any plans for the future with, uh, with your shop? What, what's coming in, uh, in the, in the next few months for you? Uh, try to get caught up. I mean, I'm, it's unreal how much, how behind we are just with work because COVID really screwed up so much stuff in the industry, just with getting parts and everything like that. Um, or yes, like I'm, I get a ton of parts through them and, uh, they're, they're so down on employees right now. I could, I could place an order. Usually it'd take one day to get the order and it could be anywhere from two to three weeks now to get the order. It's unreal. Yeah. It's a big difference for sure. But other than that, do that. And then uh, we're going to do the reschedule for Daytona. Uh, we'll do that makeup race. And uh, uh, like I was telling you earlier, I think, um, I think this winter uh, definitely focus on the uncaged performance. Um, I think there's a huge market for the, the whole giveaway thing. And um, it just goes back to the, if, 
it's work. It's all hard work. But if it doesn't feel like you're working and you're having fun, I mean, you can't, you can't change it. You know, there's not yeah. one day. The stress sucks. I, I put a lot of pressure on myself and stress and trying to fix stuff. But at the end of the day, the people that, you know, work with me, I don't ever want them to feel like they, they hate coming to work, you know, and there's so many people in today's world that like they get up every day they're like oh, I gotta go to my damn job like they hate it and I just I never want to be in that position like I'll, I'll do whatever I can and not feel like that and I want the people that are part of my life too to not feel like that so yeah it's important That's, you know liking what you do and not hating your life it's it's a big part yeah but everything's about attitude too I mean if you you know that something's gonna suck if you go into it with that attitude like it's gonna be miserable yeah there was a guy just today at my work, one of my coworkers, I won't say his name, but he said, uh, I said, oh, good morning. He's like, well, what's so good about it? It's like, I was just being polite, man. I wasn't, like, I don't really care how your day is. I'm just trying to be nice, you know? Oh. Yeah, like, there's some better for Debbie Downers. Yeah, it's like, well, not with that attitude. <laughs> this guy, Skyler, he's Mr. Positive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good thing. Um, I, I to guys like uh, Zig Ziglar, he's passed away now, but he was a motivational guy. And he says, um, a quote that I love, you can get anything you want in life as long as you help enough other people get what they want. So for you, you're doing that with the motorcycles. You're like, well, I'm an engine yeah. builder. I can help you with this knowledge. Yep. Let me help you. And for me, I'm trying to help connect people with products and online and you know, I can ship right to your door. So if you're looking for motorsports, um, Engine built, dyno work, go to Ryan Kerr. Yep, absolutely. For sure. And uh, where can people find you online? I'm sure you're all over social media and you got your own websites now. Yeah, if you just go to 28motorsports.com, you can find everything there. Just You can even Google my name and all that stuff will come up. So. Very good. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. We don't want to make it uh, a two or three hour podcast today. I still got stuff to do. And I have another two podcasts to edit before I post yours. So. This will probably be another week or two. I'll, po I'll post it, but uh, I'll make sure to tag you and uh, make sure you repost it as well so it gets the most possible views. Yeah, I saw you had Christy Lee on there. She used to interview me all the time. Yeah, she was uh, She was the biggest person, I think, in my network I've, I uh, was able to snag for an interview. So uh, she reposted oh, yeah. it, and almost overnight it spiked up almost like uh, 1,000 views or so. Oh, uh, yeah, because everyone wants to check her out. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, she's beautiful. All right, brother. Well, I appreciate it. We'll see you. All right, man. Take care now. Have a good one. Yeah.